Welcome to Kaya, the college and young adult ministry of Midtown Baptist Temple, a ministry seeking to pursue a deeper faith in Jesus Christ through God's Word, fellowship, and prayer. Hi, my name is Eric Phillips. And uh, if you don't know me, um, I'm the worship director. If you were in the first service, you probably figured that out. Um, And uh, I'm a teaching elder here. I'm not Pastor Brandon. Pastor Brandon is teaching in another fellowship this morning. So he asked me to uh, teach. And so we're going to spend some time in the word and and see what the Lord has for us. Um, So let's pray. And uh, we do, it is posted online, the PowerPoint, okay? So you can, you can, no one says PowerPoint anymore, do they? Slide deck, is that the way you're supposed to say it? The deck is online. So you just get online and you can get the deck. Um, I'm dating myself here by saying PowerPoint, I know. Um, but let's pray and we're going to hear what the Lord has to say. Lord, thank you so much for your goodness. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you for being awesome. Thank you for keeping us. And Lord, uh, I just pray that you'd speak to our hearts and, and, and open our eyes, Lord, um, Knowing the truth is what makes us free. And so help us to receive the truth of your word and embrace it this morning. Um, in Christ Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. We should have the, the deck up. Do we have that? It's, that's not the deck. Oh, there it is. Okay. So uh, I came across a story that I think is going to help to set the tone for what it is we need to discuss this morning. Now, admittedly, there are multiple versions of this story, okay? So I can't say that it's the exact version, but it it does illustrate what we need to talk about. In the early 1900s, there was a small Hungarian troop performing military maneuvers um, in the Switzerland Alps, okay? And the troop was being led by a young lieutenant. I see my mom and my dad. Hi, mom and dad. (laughs) Okay. It's like, uh, all right. Anyway, sorry about that. All right, so back to it. So this, this, this military, this Hungarian troop, they were performing military maneuvers in the Switzerland Alps, and the troop was being led by a young lieutenant, and uh, they, get, they got lost in the wilderness, in the icy wilderness out here in the, in, in the, in the Switzerland Alps. They got lost, uh, and there was a snowstorm that lasted for several days. And so long story short, as the, the, the lieutenant described it, they were running out of food, and, and they began to acknowledge just how helpless they were in this situation. Uh, and, and it became obvious. They, they began to, to accept the reality that they were going to die in the wilderness, okay? But then something changed. One of the soldiers found a map in his pocket, uh, and, and, and that helped them to calm down. And, and, and so in, with the use of that map, uh, they made the decision, okay, we can just we can try to ride out this storm. Uh, and then after riding out the storm, they were able to find their bearings. And it took them a few days, but they were able to make it back to, to camp, okay? And back at base, uh, the lieutenant took a closer look at the map, and he discovered that it was actually not a map of the, of the Alps, which is where they got lost. It was actually a map of the Pyrenees. Those are mountains in France. So the map itself was really not accurate. It was useless, actually. But the map served one critical function. It gave them hope. That map gave them hope. And so they were looking at the map, and, 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 and with that, they were able to figure out how to get back. And so they were hopeful that they could get themselves out of a dangerous situation. 
And because they were hopeful, they kept moving forward. Because they were hopeful, they kept moving forward. And so what I want to highlight here is the significance, the, the critical nature of hope in the Christian walk. It's important. The enemy's goal is to get you to give up. His goal is to get you to tap out. Just stop. Just quit. And if he can get you to lose hope, that's how he's going to do it because he can't take you out directly. I don't know if you know that. If you know Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior, anything that happens to you, God's got to sign off on. Okay? He can't take you out directly, and so his goal is to get you to tap out. Give up. Okay, let's look at this. I just want to illustrate this. Look over with me quickly. Job chapter 1. That should be the next slide. Job chapter 1. Uh, and you'll see this illustrated. Now, many of you know the story over in Job chapter 1. Um, the sons of God, Satan among them, come and they present themselves to God. And we pick it up. Uh, verse 6. Now, there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord and Satan also among them. And, and the Lord said, uh, verse 7, whence comest thou? And Satan answered the Lord, uh, answered the Lord. Then Satan answered the Lord and said, from going to and fro in the earth and from walking up and down in it. And the Lord said unto Satan, hast thou considered my servant Job, that there is none like him in the earth, a perfect and upright man, one that feareth God and escheweth evil. Then Satan answered the Lord and said, doth Job fear God for naught? Hast thou not made a hedge about him and about his house and about all that he hath over every side? Hast thou not blessed the work of his hands and his substance is increased in the land? And so Satan's whole point to God is, you know what? Job is serving you because uh, you keep hooking him up, God. You've given him all the blessings. He's got all the money. His family's good. You've made a hedge about him. You keep protecting him, okay? So you take that away. You take that away, and uh, he's going to curse you. And he says that in verse 11, but put forth thine hand now and touch all that he hath, and he will curse thee to thy face. So see, Satan... Satan's looking to get him to get him to curse God. But what I want you to notice, verse 12, and the Lord said unto Satan, behold, all that he hath is in thy power, only upon himself put not forth thine hand. So God gives the parameters. You see that? God gives the parameters. You can do this, but you can't do this. So see, now you get it. You get some insight into how the enemy wants to work in your life. God gives the parameters. His goal is going to be to get you to tap out. And I know in a room this large, there are people that are thinking about tapping out. It gets hard, doesn't it? It does get hard. As you walk with the Lord, yes, you get to know him better, but the climb gets steeper. The climb gets steeper. So I want to trust the Lord this morning to give you a framework for overcoming despair. That's what we're going to talk about this morning. Overcoming despair. God doesn't want you to be hopeless and in despair. And I want you to know that, okay? I want you to see that. So just look at some passages here. 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 8. He says, we are troubled on every side, yet not distressed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Okay, so perplexed. Okay, you're going to go through some things where you're going to be like, God, why did you let that happen? I don't understand it, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Cast down, but not destroyed. And then look over in Joshua chapter 1, verse 9. 
He says, have, I not, have not I commanded thee? Now, he's talking to Joshua, a little history here, a little background. Joshua's getting ready to go and possess the land. There's a lot of nations in that land stronger and greater than the children of Israel. And God's like, go and possess them. So they, it's easy to be tempted to be fearful because it's like, how are we going to overcome these people? They're greater than us. And this is what God says. Have not I commanded thee? Be strong and of good courage. Be not afraid, neither be dismayed. For the Lord thy God is with thee whithersoever thou goest. So there's a command, don't be afraid, don't be dismayed. That word dismayed means discouraged, it means frightened, it means confounded, it means terrified. So with the leading and aiding of the Holy Spirit, I want us to consider a man of God who found himself in despair. We're going to look at the life of a man of God this morning that found himself in despair and how the Lord dealt with him. Okay, so let's get a little background. Go over to 1 Kings chapter 18. And just want to get some of the background. So now this is a, uh, uh, this is a story of Elijah. He was a prophet of the Lord. And now he lived during a, a dark time in Israel's history where they had uh, wicked kings on the throne. And there was just a lot of stuff going on. And, and Baal worship was uh, very prominent. Okay, Baal was this false god um, that, that, that the unbelievers uh, worshipped. And so Elijah was known for his spiritual passion and for the power that he had with the Lord. I mean, it's... It's an adventure. You know, don't go see Indiana Jones. Just read 1 Kings, okay? <laughs> I actually went on Friday. I couldn't even stay through the whole thing. I was like, you know what? Mm, I'm sleepy. <laughs> Holla. Um, so I didn't even stay. I was just like, I'm going home. All right. So we pick it up in 1 Kings 18. Elijah's having a standoff with the prophets, okay? The prophets of Baal. He's having a standoff to see who, who can, who's, who's God can answer by fire. So pick it up, 1 Kings 18, 24. Okay, so God, Elijah gives the terms. He says, and call ye on the name of your gods, and I will call on the name of the Lord, and the God that answereth by fire, let him be God. And all the people answered and said, it is well spoken. And then you know the story. Uh, they, the, 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 the worshipers of Baal, they try to get it done, and, and Elijah starts mocking them. Verse 27, and it came to pass at noon that Elijah mocked them and said, cry aloud, for he is God, and either he is talking or he is pursuing or he's in a journey or peradventure he sleepeth and must be awaked. Okay, so um, Elijah's feeling himself, okay, in this moment, all right? So he's, um, he's enjoying it. So then you drop down to verse 37, and this is just background for where we're going, okay? Uh, it's, it's Elijah's turn, and he says, Hear me, O Lord, hear me, that this people may know that thou art the Lord God, and that thou hast turned their heart back again. Uh, verse 38, Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt sacrifice, and the wood, and the stones, and the dust, and licked up the water that was in the trench. And when all the people saw it, they fell on their faces, and they said, The Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is, he is the God. And Elijah said unto them, take the prophets of Baal, let not one of them escape. And they took them, and Elijah brought them down into the, to the brook Kishon uh, and slew them there. So this was a great victory for Elijah, okay? He's on top of the mountain, right? He, he, God has answered by fire, uh, and now the prophets of Baal have been slain. Uh, and I'm sure that, 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 you know, Elijah's name, um, the Lord's name, and, and, and you know, the, there was a great victory here today. But now just go over one chapter. Okay, that's the background. Pick it up in 1 Kings chapter 19. This is where we're going to be this morning. And Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done, and withal how he had slain all the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger unto Elijah, saying, So let the gods do to me, and more also, if I make not thy life as the life of one of them by tomorrow about this time. <laughs> 
So Jezebel sends a message to Elijah telling him she's going to kill him. And that's going to get done in the next 24 hours. You're going to be dead. And this is what I love about the story. Now, watch Elijah's response. And this is what it talks about when when you read over uh, in the New Testament about Elijah having the same passions that you and I do. Um, Just look at how he handles this. Verse 3. And when he saw that, he arose and went for his life and came to Beersheba, which belongeth to Judah, and left his servant there. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a juniper tree. And he requested for himself that he might die. And said, it is enough now, O Lord, take away my life, for I am not better than my father's. What happened? What happened? Just one chapter ago, we're calling fire down from heaven. We're slaying the prophets of Baal, and now you're ready to die. How did you get there? But now what I want you to notice, and this is the part that makes the Bible so relevant, that, you know, this was written thousands of years ago, but this is true today. So he gets this disturbing news. His servant is with him. And so you see, did you notice how in in verse 3 they go to Beersheba? He leaves his servant there. See, you get some distressing news. This has happened before. You get some distressing news and and you're around people and you're like, okay, I just got to hold it in. People are like, hey, what's going on? How you doing? You're like, oh, I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm good. But in the back of your mind, you're like, okay, as soon as I can get by myself, then I can have my meltdown, right? then I can just be in my emotions. This is what he does. So he's got his servant, but he doesn't want his, see his, he doesn't want his servant to see him crash. And so he's like, he leaves him there. He's like, okay, you're going to stay here in Raytown, okay? <laughs> and I have some business in Blue Springs. <laughs> and so he goes on out to Blue Springs, and he has a meltdown. He has a complete meltdown. Don't tell me you haven't done that before. Don't tell me you haven't done that before. We all have. This was written thousands of years ago and nothing has changed. But what I'm encouraged about is that God understands. So let's keep reading. Um, In verse 4, it says he went a day's journey. So he's like, enough now. Um, I just want to die. Okay? So what God does in this moment, what we're going to see, Elijah's in a dark place. He's ready to die and give up. But what we're going to see is that God meets him. He dispatches an angel, and this angel's going to come, and it's not going to give Elijah what he wants. This angel is going to give Elijah what he needs, okay? He's in need of some things right now because he's in a dark place. So this is what God is doing. Let's look at verse 5. It says, And as he lay and slept under a juniper tree, behold, then an angel touched him and said unto him, Arise and eat. And he looked... Verse 6, and behold, there was a cake baking in the coals and a cruise of water at his head. And he did eat and drink and laid him down again. And then verse 7, and the angel of the Lord came again the second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat because the journey is too great for him, too great for thee. So what I want you to see, the first thing that I want you to see is that the angel allows him time to rest and recuperate. He allows him time to rest and he gets two opportunities. He's already sleeping when the angel comes. The angel gives him some food and then he goes back to sleep. He gets this time and the angel comes back to him. See, Elijah needed to rest. If you are not getting enough sleep, then I can already tell you you're more vulnerable to being in despair. You're more vulnerable to being depressed. 
And so key number one, the first step to overcoming despair is simple. Rest. Sorry. Um, I talk to a lot of people that might be struggling. And one of the things, one of the first things that I ask is, have you been sleeping? Have you been getting enough rest? It's one of the first things I ask because it's so common. And then you, you hear people talk and they'll even say it. You know what? I just, you know, I've got this distressing situation and I haven't been sleeping and I haven't been, I haven't been resting. Like, okay, you need to do that because not sleeping and not resting has a way of amplifying the problems. And when you can just go to sleep, get some rest and wake up with energy, you can think clearly. So practically and physically, he needed to rest. He needed to turn off the TV, put the phone down, just rest. You need rest. Matthew eleven twenty eight. 28. What does Jesus say? Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. So there is a weariness that can happen in life. Life has a way of doing that. It has a way of wearing you down. It can weigh on you. The biblical response is rest. The biblical response is rest. And, you know, I, I remember I was, this was back when I was a manager at Walmart, and I was just irritable, okay? And I don't know why I was just irritable. I was just negative, and, and my manager, she just looked at me, and she said, Eric, have you, when was the last time you took a vacation? I was like, you know what? You're right. <laughs> I do need to take a vacation. <laughs> it was just stuff was just getting to me that normally didn't get to me. I needed to rest. Like, I needed to do that. And so that's the first thing is, man, make sure you're getting rest, okay? So now let's keep reading because there's something else that God gives him, okay? Back in 1 Kings chapter 19, verse 5, um, he's sleeping on the juniper tree. The, the, the angel says, arise and eat. Um, and then verse 6, and he looked and behold, there was a cake baking on the coals and a cruise of water at his head. And he did eat and drink and laid him down again. And the angel of the Lord came again the second time and touched him and said, arise and eat because the journey is too great for thee. And he arose and did eat and drink and went in the strength of that meat 40 days and 40 nights unto Horeb, the Mount of God. Interesting. So God provides him with meat, and this meat is strong enough to sustain him. I don't know if you know where I'm going. The Bible has something to say about strong meat. This meat is something, it's strong enough to sustain him. Go over to Hebrews chapter 5. Paul says, for when the time ye ought to be teachers, ye have need that one teach you again, which be the first principles of the oracles of God, and are become such as have need of milk, and not of strong meat. For everyone that useth milk is unskillful in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. But strong meat belongeth to them that are full of age, even those who, who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. So if you are despairing, you need something that's going to sustain you. You need something that's going to pick you up, that's going to revive you, that's going to refocus you, that's going to recharge you, that's going to renew you. It's strong meat. It's strong meat. So God gives him the strong meat. And what's interesting, okay, so he comes, he allows him to rest. He gives him this strong meat. What's interesting is that God doesn't tell him, hey, don't worry, Jezebel's not going to kill you. He doesn't actually deal with that. That's what he wanted to hear, right? When you're in despair, you want to hear the solution that you want, right? Like you, you already know what you're wanting. 
what you think you need. God doesn't tell him that. Actually, it's, it's quite the opposite. It's like, okay, you need to eat because the journey is too great for you. In other words, yeah, I know you're in a bad spot, but what's ahead is still difficult. What's ahead is still difficult. Eat this because what lies ahead of you is too much in your own strength. And so this is key point number two. You must partake of the strong meat of God's word and accept that what comes next might actually still be difficult. It might actually still be difficult. Now, I know that's not very Joel Osteen of me, right? (laughs) That's not what you want to hear. You want to be told that that thing is going to work out just the way you want it. But that's not always the case, is it? That's not always the case. I've had several times in my life where I saw the bad thing coming and I prayed and prayed and prayed and enlisted people to pray. It didn't stop it from happening. But I had strong meat to sustain me. And God was with me. You know, it's like, how do we expect to be used of the Lord if we can't go through anything hard? How do you expect to truly be used of the Lord if we can't go through anything hard? Okay, look at Jeremiah. Jeremiah chapter 12. So Jeremiah is in a tough situation. The people that he's preaching the, the, the word to, they've rejected him. They're trying to kill him. So he, he wants to plead with the Lord. Jeremiah chapter 12. Righteous art thou, O Lord, when I plead with thee. Yet let me talk with thee of thy judgments. Wherefore doth the way of the wicked prosper? Wherefore are all they happy that deal very treacherously? Thou hast planted them. They have taken root. They grow. Yea, they bring forth fruit. Thou art near in their mouth and far from their reins. And so he's like, hey, there's these wicked people. God, you're allowing them to do what they're doing. And they're doing it they're like they're exceeding in doing it. They say you, they, 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 they talk about being, being godly, but their actions don't prove that out. Verse 3, but thou knowest, O Lord, but thou, O Lord, knowest me. Thou hast seen me and tried mine heart toward thee. Pull them out like sheep for the slaughter and prepare them for the day of slaughter. How long shall the land mourn and the, and the herbs of the field wither? For the wickedness of them that dwell therein. The beasts are consumed and the birds because they said he shall not see our last end. And so he pours out his complaint to God and he's praying for God to deal with the wicked people. And he's like, God, I've been following you. I've been righteous. I've been serving you. Okay, verse 5, God's response. If thou hast run with the footmen and they have wearied thee, then how canst thou contend with horses? It's going to get worse. The footmen have wearied you. The horses are coming, and if in the land of peace wherein thou trust, they weary thee, then how wilt thou do with the swelling of Jordan? For even thy brethren, the house of thy father, even they have dealt treacherously with thee. They have called a multitude after thee. Believe them not, though they speak fair words unto thee. Overcoming despair is not about changing your circumstances. It's about changing your heart. It's about changing your heart. Look over in Luke chapter 22. Jesus says, and the Lord said, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan hath desired to have you, that he may sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for thee that thy faith fail not, and when thou art converted, strengthen thy brethren. 
See, now what he doesn't, notice what Jesus doesn't tell him. He tells him that Satan desires to have him, that he may sift him. But then he go, but he doesn't say, and I'm going to stop it. That's not what he says. It's just the opposite. I've prayed for thee that thy faith fail not. I'm going to let you go through it. I'm going to let him sift you. You saw him do it in Job, right? Satan asked for his chance. God's like, go for it. I'm going to let him sift you. But he says, I prayed for thee that thy faith fail not. So God isn't afraid to let us go through a hard situation. He's not. He's with you in it, but he's not afraid to let you go through it. And here's the point. Yes, God will comfort you, but he also wants to strengthen you. He'll comfort you, but he also wants to strengthen you. He wants to make you stronger. So that means we have to go through hard things sometimes. So Elijah has a great journey that uh, he has to partake in, okay? And so we're going to pick it back up, back over in 1 Kings chapter 19. He says, arise and eat, okay? This journey is too great for you. It's 40 days and 40 nights. You need to eat, okay? And so 1 Kings, uh, let's pick this up in, in, in verse Nine, and he came thither into a cave and lodged there. And behold, the word of the Lord came unto him and said unto him, What doest thou here, Elijah? How'd you get here, Elijah? What's going on? And he said, I've been very jealous for the Lord of God of hosts, for the children of Israel have forsaken thy covenant, thrown down thine altars, and slain thy prophets with the sword. And I, even I only, am left, that they, and they seek my life to take it away. And he said, go forth and stand upon the mount before the Lord. And behold, the, the Lord passed by, and a great and strong wind rent the mountains, and break in pieces the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, a still small voice. And it was so when Elijah heard it that he wrapped his face in his mantle and went out and stood in the entering of the cave. And behold, there came a voice unto him and said, what doest thou here, Elijah? Okay, so this is key point number three. We're going to unpack this. What the heart of despair needs most is not magnificent displays of power. The heart of despair needs a personal encounter with God. That's what you need. You need a personal encounter with God. You need him to speak to you. And you see in this passage that it's a still, small voice. Okay, so in the lowest points of my life, it was never the, the, the big, huge, majestic displays of power that God gave me. It was just his still, small voice to assure me. That's what he did. Just a still, small voice to tell me, I'm with you. I got you. But I have to be willing to get quiet, get along with the Lord, and listen. Despair has a way of making you frantic, doesn't it? I mean, it's just like, you, 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 you know, you, you, just, you don't know what to do, and you're, you're ready to panic, and, and it's like, ah, like that's, at least that's me, okay? I've had moments like that, okay? Um, but what I want you to see is that if you're seeking for these grand displays of God, that's actually a mark of immaturity. 
Anybody can hear thunder. Anybody can hear the earthquake. Anybody can hear mountains roaring. Anybody can hear those things. But who can hear the whisper of God? You think about the nature of a still, small voice, a whisper. What has to happen for you to hear somebody whisper? You got to get close to them, don't you? You got to get close to them. You need a personal encounter with God. And so he whispers. Why is he doing that? To draw you closer. He whispers to draw you closer. Jesus actually chastises the Jews for this. John 4, 48. He said, except ye see signs and wonders, ye will not believe. It's like, that, is, that, is, that, is, that all, is that all I am to you? Just I got to manufacture signs and wonders in order for you to believe? And then go over to 2 Kings. This is, this is a good story, okay? Uh, 2 Kings, you see this beautifully illustrated, okay? Naaman, Naaman was a leper. Naaman was a leper. He was a great man, had great status, but he was a leper. This was a problem. And um, through the, a servant of the Lord just saying, hey, there's a prophet in Israel that can help Naaman to, to recover from his leprosy. And so the king sends, sends Naaman and, and to, to be uh, recovered from his leprosy. But look at how Naaman responds. Okay, so verse 10 uh, Naaman sent to Elisha the prophet to, to, to be healed of his leprosy. And Elisha sent a messenger unto him, saying, Go and wash in Jordan seven times, and thy flesh shall come again to thee, and thou shalt be clean. So he gets a yes. The, the answer is yes, I'm going to heal you. But, but notice how it happens. So Elisha doesn't even come greet him at the door. Elisha sends a servant, okay? So watch Naaman's response, verse 11. But Naaman was wroth. And went away and said, Behold, I thought he will surely come out and stand and call upon the name of the Lord his God and strike his hand over the place and recover the leper. So what's Naaman's problem? He's got this idea of how God needs to move, how God needs to do it. And so he talks about his rivers in verse 12 are not Abana and, and, and Farpur and, and rivers of Damascus better than all the waters of Israel. May, not I, may I not wash in them and be clean? So he turned and went away in a rage. See, that's immaturity. Now, you know the story. His servants come to him and give him a little wisdom. And they're like, hey, why don't you just do it? It's simple. Just go do it. He's saying he's going to heal you. Just do it. Right? And he gets healed. But this is key number four. Mature believers listen for the whisper of God. Mature believers listen for the whisper of God. This is about spiritual sensitivity. Being sensitive to the voice of God. Can you calm yourself and quiet yourself enough so that you can hear the whisper? You've got to learn to sit still. You've got to slow down. You have to stop. But that's what this is about. And this is what Elijah needed to learn. You need a personal encounter with God. Now, so far what we've seen is that God has stepped into Elijah's dark situation. Okay? He's in a dark place. He's ready to die and give up. But we've learned that he needs rest. Elijah needs rest. We've, we've learned that, that he needs and we need, it, we need strong meat of God's word. That's, that's what we're seeing. We've also learned that we need a personal encounter with God. 
And, that we, and we've learned that mature believers listen for the whisper. Okay, that's, that's where we're at. We, we've seen that illustrated. Now we come to what is perhaps the most critical truth. Okay, we're going to pick it back up. 1 Kings chapter 19 and verse 14. I believe you got that. There we go. I'm sorry if that's too small. I tried. Okay. Um, and he said, I have been very jealous. So God asked him again in verse 13, you know, what are you doing here? And he says in verse 14, I've been very jealous for the Lord God of hosts because the children of Israel have forsaken thy covenant, thrown down thine altars and slain thy prophets with the sword and I, even I only am left and they that seek my life uh, and they seek my life to take it away. Verse 15, and the Lord said unto him, go return on thy way to the wilderness of Damascus and when thou comest anoint Hazael to be king over Syria, and Jehu the son of Nimshi shalt thou anoint to be king over Israel, and Elisha the son of Shaphat of uh, Abimelech shalt thou anoint to be prophet in thy room, and it shall come to pass that him that escapeth of the sword of Hazael shall Jehu slay, and him that escapeth of the sword of Jehu shall Elisha slay. Yet I have left me seven thousand in Israel, all knees which have not bowed unto Baal, and every mouth which has not kissed him. All right, so this is the most critical truth, point number five. In order to overcome despair, it is critical that you reject the lie that you are alone in this. You have to reject the lie that you are alone in this. If you are despairing, if you have lost hope, I already know you think you're alone. I already know you think you're alone. You are at your most vulnerable point when you believe that the lie that you are alone. And it typically sounds something like, you don't know my situation. This very unique thing happened to me. Uh, No one has had this set of circumstances. Uh, Yeah, I can see how generally Christ was tempted and at every point, but but my situation's different. Me, my, my. This thing. Here's the angle. Here's why this doesn't apply. And no matter how you put it, it all boils down to basically, I'm alone in this. I'm alone in this. That's that's the conclusion. And the problem is where that leads you. Because you conclude that you're alone and then you and the logic goes, well, because I'm alone in this, then I can fill in the blank. Go do something really unwise. Because I'm alone. That's the way the logic works. But what does the Bible say about it? Matthew chapter 28, verse 20. Okay, we know this. This is the great commission, the the, the call to to make disciples. Go ye therefore, let's start in verse 19, teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even until the end of the world. Amen. I am with you always. But then go over to Matthew chapter 1, verse 23. You sing about it. Behold, a virgin shall be with child and shall bring forth a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. God with us. Psalm 46, 7. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. Selah. Isaiah 41, 10. Fear thou not, for I am with thee. Be not dismayed, for I am, I am thy God. I will strengthen thee, yea, I will help thee, yea, I will uphold thee with thy right hand, with the right hand of my righteousness. Matthew 18, 
Verse 20. For where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am in the midst of them. And, and, and the last couple of verses we're going to look at, it's, it's, it's actually amazing for any, any New Testament believer when you can conclude that you're alone in something, okay? Um, it's, it's, so look at this. 1 Corinthians, no, 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians 1.22. Who, he hath, who hath also sealed us and given the earnest of the Spirit in our hearts. And then compare that, add that to that Ephesians 1.13. In whom ye also trusted, after that ye heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, after that ye believed, ye were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise. You were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. Okay, so what does that mean? It actually means that for a New Testament believer, it's impossible for you to be alone. It's impossible for you to be alone. The Holy Spirit of God is sealed within you. Wherever you go, God goes. He is always with you. He's always with you. And so this is key point number six. Despair is only possible when a believer embraces a lie. When a believer embraces a lie. Now think about Elijah, okay? He's saying that he's all alone. That's what he said. You all remember that when we looked at that, right? He's like, and I am, I'm, it's just me, God. I'm, 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 on, I'm the only one. Okay, who did you leave in Raytown, Elijah? Remember that? You left your servant there and you kept going. So you know that that's not true, right? He had at least one other person with him that he abandoned that he abandoned. We do that, don't we? There are people you could talk to. There are people you could reach out to, and you don't. And then you conclude that you're alone. And so God is like, and by the way, verse 18, I've got 7,000, Elisha, actually. It ain't just you, homie. (laughs) It ain't just you. I've got 7,000 that haven't bowed their knee. But what he's also saying is, Elijah, you're not alone. And I just, you know, want to point this out again. He doesn't tell Elijah, hey, Jezebel's not going to kill you. Elijah never, God never speaks to him about that, him being afraid of Jezebel. Because that's not what the issue was. The issue was his heart. And God was drawing him back. And so what begins to happen is that God begins to, to, to re-engage Elijah in the work that needed to be done. You see that? He gives him an assignment. He says, hey, you need to go anoint this person here, and you need to go and do this. And he, he, he re-engages him. And so back over in 1 Kings 19, what does he tell him? He tells him to uh, anoint some people. Uh, Jehu, the son of Nimshi, to be king over Israel, verse 16, verse 17. Uh, he tells him what's going to happen. Um, and then um, he, he, he gives him some work to do with Elisha. Um, in verse 16, I missed that. And Elisha, the son of um, Shaphat, and of, um, you're going to anoint Elisha to be prophet. All right. So not only does he have some people to anoint, he's got some discipleship to do. He's like, okay, so you got Elijah. The story's about Elijah, and he tells him to go anoint Elisha. You see that? I know that can be confusing. 
So here's the last point, key point number seven. After you've rested and after you've encountered God, get out of your head and get back to work. Get out of your head and get back to work. Listen, it's dangerous up here, okay? And I'm, I'm preaching to the choir. I mean, like, I'm, I'm talking to myself here, okay? Because I can, like, my, my imaginations, okay? Like, your, your thoughts will drive you crazy if you let them. You have to get out of your head. You do. You got to look around. You're not alone. No matter how bad it gets, there's still a mission. We still got to make disciples. People still need to hear the gospel. And no matter how bad stuff got in my life, God always allowed me to still engage in the work. He allowed me to still engage in the work. Look at how bad it got for Paul. 2 Corinthians 11. Verse 23. Are they ministers of Christ? I speak as a fool. I more, in labors more abundant, in stripes above measure, in prisons more frequent, in deaths oft. Of the Jews, five times received I forty stripes, save one. Thrice was I beaten with rods, once was I stoned, thrice I suffered shipwreck, and night and day I have been in the deep, in journeyings often, in perils of waters, in perils of, of robbers, in perils by mine own countrymen, in perils by the heathen, in perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils among the false brethren. In weariness and painfulness, in watchings often, in hunger and thirst, in fastings often, in cold and nakedness. And beside those things that are without, that which cometh upon me daily, the care of all the churches. Now, God used the Apostle Paul mightily, but he suffered greatly in that process. Now, how could God use the Apostle Paul if every time he was just breaking down and I can't do this anymore? So this is what I'm saying. God uses these things to strengthen us. And so God's spirit moves in Elijah to re-engage him with people. Because it was Elijah that moved away from people. It was Elijah that left his servant behind. And so God begins to move to re-engage him with people. And so understand this, that, that pulling out of despair was a process. Because falling into despair was a process. And you can go to the next slide, I think we're... Yeah, we're getting there. So pulling out of despair was a process because falling into despair was a process. And so what has to happen if you're finding yourself in a place of despair, you got to uncover those lies. What are the lies I'm believing? Got to uncover those lies. Allow God to, to reveal truth. He needed to, 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 to rest and to heal. But then also he, you, he needed to accept God's grace and you need to do that too. There's a tendency to want to condemn yourself. Why am I here again? Why am I struggling with this again? And if you follow that line of reasoning, you just sink into more despair, right? So you, you, God, didn't, God doesn't take him and, and say, okay, you can't, do, you can't minister anymore. No, God, God, God gives him the healing that he needs, and he puts him back in the work. And that's what you need to do this morning. You get the healing that you need and you just re-engage. You don't condemn yourself. You accept God's grace. So, those are the seven 
Seven steps to, to, to overcoming despair. And if you're here this morning and you're like, uh, that's me, but I don't even know if I know Christ. That's where you got to start. You got to start with a personal relationship with the Savior. Do you actually know him? And if you're unsure about that, what does that mean? Then, then you know, we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna close in worship. Um, and, and you'll have the opportunity to come forward. But is there a time where you recognize you were a sinner, that your sin separated you from God, and that, that you, you deserved hell? And that absent someone stepping in to save you, you were going to hell, and, and you, you recognize who Christ is and his sacrifice and what he did on the cross, and you, you called out to him to save you. If you don't have that testimony, then, then, then I, wanna, um, I want you to come forward. Let's go ahead and have the, the worship team come up. Um, every head bowed, every eye closed. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Is there anybody that would say, pray for me, that's me. I don't know if I know Christ, and, and, and I'm in a place of despair. I want to pray for you. Is there anybody that would say that? Pray for me. I don't know Christ. I'm only going to have a couple moments. Pray for me. I don't know Christ. I'm in a place of despair. And for those believers in the room, is there anybody who would say, pray for me? That's me. I'm, I'm in a place um, of despair. I believe some lies. I see your hands. I see your hands. I believe some lies. Pray for me. I'm going to pray for you, and I, I want to challenge you to re-engage in the work and, and move forward and, and, and talk to somebody. Don't isolate yourself. Find somebody, pray with them, and what you're going to find is that God's grace is sufficient. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for your goodness, um, and thank you for your word, Lord. Thank you for constantly reviving and renewing. And Father, I, um, the day I learned that your, your grace is infinite, your grace is infinite, Lord, and, and, and you've, got, you've got more grace than I got sin. Um, and I thank you for it, Father, because your grace is sufficient in all of our struggles. And I want to pray for those that raise their hand, Lord, that, that perhaps believing a lie or finding, them in a, finding themselves in a place of despair, that they would um, return to you, Father, and draw closer to you. Thank you for your goodness, Lord. In Christ Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So go ahead and stand. We're going we're gonna to close in worship. And if you need prayer or you need help, you come forward and let somebody meet with you. We hope that today's message encouraged you to follow Christ in his word. For more information about Kaya, for service times and information about our disciple-making ministry, please visit our website at caya.li.com.